Hey guys, I hope everyone's doing well today. Uh, for this episode, we actually wanted to go back to our roots, which is more philosophical in nature. So if you remember back in the day when we would create content, we'd be talking about all kinds of different concepts dealing with the human condition. And so today we wanted to step away from talking politics or talking relationships or any sort of thing like that. And we really wanted to go back to philosophy. So this episode is on knowledge and whether or not it's to our advantage for one person to have all the knowledge, or are we better off for knowledge to be divided? Uh, we come from a couple of different camps of thought in this episode, and so I want you guys to take some time and listen to it and see what we have to say about it. And as always, if you have any sort of feedback, questions, comments, or anything like that, don't hesitate to reach out. All right, let's get to the show. The goal of the Salumas podcast is simple. Take a candid, often objective, and sometimes comedic approach to the human condition. In keeping with this, the use of expletives, crude humor, and references to harsh realities are commonplace. If you find any of this to be offensive, please, 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 throw your listening device in the trash. If not, enjoy the show. good to go. So uh want to thank you guys for jumping on today. I hope everyone had a good week. Um, I want to jump in with two questions, and that's what I want to make this episode on. The first question really centers around knowledge. Now, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and I was actually watching a, uh, a movie, and, and, and that's really what sparked the knowledge. So the to not spoil too much, what was happening in that movie is that there were these two people, and they were working together on a um on a on a mission if you will or, or the plot and it would have been to the other dudes or it would have been to the disadvantage of the mission as a whole if one person had all the knowledge there and so one one of the guys asked the person hey what are the whereabouts of this substance right and the guy responds with knowledge divided my friend and so that made me think like is there or are there diminishing returns to having too much knowledge? So what I was thinking in that moment was that the when he, that dude said knowledge divided, my friends, it meant that, hey, it's it's best if we each know something different here so that we can tackle this issue together. You know, if, if one of us gets caught, we don't know all the full information or whatever to be able to compromise the mission as a whole. But again, I wanted to just relate it to how we are in general. I think that a lot of us, are in this, we think that we're in this um, race or this quest or this journey to know everything, to have all the knowledge. I mean, it's it's touted to be super smart and to know all these things, but do you think that there there comes a point where knowing everything may not be the best thing? I, I think in general that it's a burden inherently. Yeah. Like, I, I think sure knowledge... Is. Knowledge in and of itself, there is uh, what what is the old saying with uh, great power comes great responsibility with mm-hmm. knowledge, knowledge is power. I know that's more after school special type shit, but it's real talk. So the more knowledge you have, the more responsibility you have. Mm-hmm. And and that may not even equate to anything external. It might not be an external responsibility. It might be an internal one. Like you bear the burden of knowing and, and, and it can be too fucking weighty. Like, and, and, and let me, let me just say, there's a lot of people, especially in this day and age that want to be an expert on motherfucking everything. These, these actually, Dude, <laughs> you know, spelled A C K T U A. Yeah, as he pushes his glasses up and like takes a sip of his Mountain Dew, and he gets to type it. But there, mm-hmm. there is a trend of of individuals where their persona is is hinged upon this notion of knowing things, kind of like uh, Peter Dinklage his character in uh, Game of Thrones, Tyrion Lannister. Like I I know things. Okay. Dope. But, but knowing things without an action, that's a toothless fucking thing. It's, it's actually a floundering 
worthless, hollow kind of thing, just knowing yeah. facts. Now, yeah. now knowledge, genuine knowledge, being privy to things and carrying the weight that's associated with it, that is, I will say, the only thing that I can relate it to is, okay, I work with the the homeless population and individuals with severe mental illnesses, um, mm-hmm. a severe mental illness diagnosis. And um, it's heavy duty sometimes. Like we have people die. Like we have, you know, I've had to kick doors down. I've had to go into sketch ass situations. Um, I also, in the same vein, I have worked at, at child protective services, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have been privy to, you know, things I, I wouldn't even want to to touch on like things I wouldn't even want to go down that path. Cause it's like stuff that I'm, I'm still kind of unpacking at this point in my life. My point being, even though I have retained my position within the same kind of sphere, so to speak, the burden that's associated with this field, that this, this specificity that I'm dealing with now versus the burden that I had previously, if I were to say, be lumped up into a supervisory position. There's no way to effectively as one individual. And, and I I don't care who you are. I've not met a service provider, mental health professional, anybody that is able to actively and objectively be a discerning um, delegator, consumer of information, when it comes to fighting battles on multiple fronts like that, especially when they're so weighty and fucking heavy. So it makes sense that you have this division whereby you have somebody that's in the position of holding hold, like, like Atlas holding the fucking world up with regard to this particular weighty set of, of, of knowledge versus Atlas holding up, you know, this whole sphere of fucking knowledge. And yeah. I likened it before we even got to talking about it. The the old timey like Bond film concept where two different people have a key in order to activate launch codes on like a nuclear missile. And there's a and and let me ask you all, what do you think is the reasoning? Just devoid of all the the little diatribe I've gone on, what is the reasoning behind two different people holding a key and having to both activate that in order to initiate launch? Well, I think that when in something like that, you need to have multiple points of of um, authorization, you know, or what we call in tech like multi multi factor authentication. Like you need to have more than one point because each point of authentication is also a point of failure too, you know? And I think it's, it's one of those like double-edged swords that you have to have in, in something like that. It's, it's to our, it's to our, um, betterment or it's, it's in our best interest to have multiple forms, but there are some times where you, where you have to act. And unfortunately it, that, that, um, that benefit kind of becomes a disadvantage when you're having to, you know, rely on that other person. But, but that, that very disagreement that might happen could be the thing that saves everything altogether. So just like in those war game movies or whatever, when you have two people that want to turn that key or those war movies, and you know, when you have two people that have to turn the key, there's always going to be that kind of disagreement. If you remember that movie, it was a, it was a naval movie with Denzel Washington. Dude wanted to fire some missiles and Denzel was like, no, we cannot fire those missiles or whatever. Like that disagreement literally saved the nation. And so that's what I kind of think on that. Was that the hunt for Red October? Wasn't Hunt for the Red October. I think it was Rules of Engagement. Let me see. That's that's what it was. Yeah. Sean Connery was in Hunt for Red October and he was yeah. just wilding out. But it, you you very concisely enca- encapsulated the the practical reason. Crimson Tide, sorry. Crimson Tide. Yeah. You encapsulated very practically the reasoning behind having knowledge or the burden that's associated with that knowledge. And we're, we're utilizing 
you know, the launch code key as a foil for knowledge in this case. But um, you showed the utility in it that it can't hinge on just one entity. And then when it hits the individual, like it goes from data driven stuff, practicality driven stuff, and then it hits the individual. That's when it gets muddled up and gets gets blended with things like honor, ethos, uh, ego. dogma, ego, all this shit that that is uh, that's that's our our primate you know, nature, like just our animalistic side that we romanticize, it kicks in and really muddles up the thing. But the problem is like, okay, we talk about having too, too much knowledge. Um, if, if knowledge is spread too thin also at the same time, then there's no accountability. So absolutely. Yeah. At one end of the spectrum, you have ultimate accountability an ultimate burden because you carry this knowledge. And at the other end of the spectrum with knowledge spread too thin, say across the population, there's just this diluted concept, uh, understanding of basic science, for example, or something like Mm -hmm. that, that there is zero accountability. How can you hold, not only can you not hold individuals accountable because they're, they're, I mean, it's, they're just part of a larger scheme, but how the fuck do you hold an entire population of individuals accountable? You just can't. Mm. Mark, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, I, I was in in regards to knowledge. I know that there's there's definitely got to be some amount of uh, like pathology with our entire society right now because of how much information we have and the way we treat it now, the way we consume it, and I I encounter. Um, day to day, a lot of instances of what seems like um, pathological behavior almost because people who may well have been uh, in, a, in a knowledge based vocation or or just had that personality type, just like someone who reads books or something, it's like not enough anymore. It's this it's just like uh, not virtue signaling, but almost an extension or protraction of your personality to you know, express what you know. And it gets really creepy sometimes, like not creepy in a, like a perverted sense, but just like, it's a little bit stomach wrenching, gut wrenching. It's like body dysmorphia almost. Well, yeah, it is like that almost because I've, I've encountered people because, you know, I work in the kind of environment where People are very enthusiastic about information and knowledge, but sometimes it's, I got, I, I'll just say, I got this one person in my life that always says it's like, they say, he says it's like to everything and it ain't never like that, but he says it's like just to have an opportunity to contribute something to no matter what is being said. And I remember when I was that kind of person, or I remember context when I was like that and was making someone feel that way. I was like, damn, that might, must've been how annoying I was, you know, when in 2005, when I was just full of this one particular kind of information and we didn't want to shut up about it. And I'm like, man, we, we got, we had a lot of that going on at different levels in, in our interactions socially and, and professionally. And you could be talking about, uh, you know, the bridge just getting built in your house. You'd be like, oh yeah, it's like that one time. And I'm like, no, it's not like that one time. You're just that <laughs> desperate to like, to, in to like, put yourself in the conversation and make yourself a part yeah. of it. That's a little bit different from what the original crux of the, the question you, you posed was, uh, Kalu. So I'll get, I'll get a little bit closer to it. I've, I've realized um, twice in my life where I've painted myself into more or less a, an information corner, an intellectual cor- corner. This happened around 2014. And I had to take dramatic like steps to correct it because I, I believe for a very long time that, gathering enough of the right information could help you solve anything. And that's definitely not true. You can be super duper right and not effective. You can be technically semantically correct and very ineffective. I've learned. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's worth it to examine what people are, who are very effective in any regards, whether it be relationships or accomplishing things or saving money or other types of, um, you know, primate meditations. It doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's worth examining what the people who are effective, uh, the path they took. And sometimes it doesn't involve 
the rote rote you know consumption of just knowledge just you know uh information and so that's one what's one area where i've kind of found it to be true that you've got to stick to your to your own um fulfillment uh biorhythm and just stay there you know because it's it's oh it's okay to uh to find fulfillment in the simple things. Again, I think this will be a, a, a discussion where we find ourselves saying a lot of after cool, after school special kind of things. Cause that's probably why that <laughs> exists to begin with. But yeah, the, the other um, situation where I see that in is in, in, in technology where I, space where I'm at, man, that's just too much. And it, it, you want to see things work. If you want to see a system work or an integration be successful, um, if you're like me, you want to be able to do it all. And, I finally am getting experienced enough and old enough to see why, oh man, so much I can't know. And I have to trust someone else. Um, and it works out much better. Now they don't all, they almost never do it to the degree that I would, but I, I recently had something like that, where if you think about it, I can push myself 110, maybe 115% and, and, and I'm redlining myself. But if I just teach two people, and they're putting out 75% of me, that's 150% and yeah. no stress. Like, so it's stupid to do that to yourself. And that's something that, you know, another area where that, that applies to me, because in operational knowledge, like the kind that I disseminate in my job, you know, it's good to spread that as soon as possible and not get too obsessive about knowing everything about a system, even if it's one you have dominion over, you're responsible sure. for, you know, you want to get a couple other minds in there and then it works out a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think there's something interesting to be said about our, our commodification of information, especially in the data, data is money age. We, we hear, you know, it's on TV every day. These, these issues of like what we're going to do with people that have all our data. And that relates a little bit that that relates in, in as much as it's another very large protracted symptom of our society's way of turning everything into a goddamn money-making opportunity. <laughs> and yeah. I think it makes us like that, even about information, even in a conversation, people we're just sitting around a fire chilling, you know what I mean? Roasting marshmallows or something, but you got fucking know-it-alls like me or somebody can't, can't just chill, you know, can't be, we don't know how to interact at all, except for through the, through the, all the meaningless, stupid academic information we know or okay. something else, you know, and I, I think we, we all got a little bit bad. <laughs> well, with, with that in mind, I do think that there is a, uh, a, a balance or a responsibility that we all have. Like I'm fine with like being cool with where you are, but this, I think that in this age where we have the capacity and ability to learn whatever we want to learn, gain any kind of knowledge. I don't, I think that we're past the point where, where we start, where we're in this anti-intellectualism phase like yeah, this man, is this is something I can see this whole anti-intellectual thing in the 80s in the hell in the 90s. I can see that. But I feel it's it's inexcusable to see that stuff going on right now in the year 2020. Like it it blows my mind and it infuriates me. And everyone knows that I have an extremely low tolerance, almost a destructive like uh, response to, to anti-intellectualism, to people that willingly do not want to learn something and will just blatantly deny, vehemently deny learning something or vehemently deny the existence of something. And, and I think that's highly irresponsible on our society to be carrying on like that. That's why like, I, I understand what, what you're saying, but I also like, we're towing a very fine line right there. Yeah, I, I deal with the same thing every every day, and in, in in the same context that I just described with some people that I work with, I I see I get on both sides of it. I don't know if in one sentence I can kind of uh, describe my position, but I have there, there's this there's this thing we'll do where we end up talking about something, and um, all right, here's a good one, <laughs> like stupid stuff like the moon landing. You know what I mean? It'll go from, it'll go from, I don't think we ever went to the moon, me until yes, of course we went to the moon and science, but the people arguing 
that thing think that they are advocates of science, air quotes, and reason. And I feel I get the same sort of rage that you do when people just like an ignorant person that's de- denying something or, you know, praying to the well or something like that. It gets me just as upset because they don't like, I don't know how people, we got this in large group of people, especially in the nerdy kind of internet geek world that I live in that think they're all like advocates of hard science because they're big fans of star Wars and star Trek. Like they get it mixed up. Like you don't know anything about real fucking science and you don't have the discipline to actually examine anything. You know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. but they think people who are like myself, who are advocates of authentic thought and critical thinking at every level, it makes us, makes me come across like I'm superstitious and really I'm just, it's just I know that the the thoughts don't really have any use outside of the very particular context. And you need to be really aware of what context you're doing your thinking in. So if the context is of humanity's sake, what good does it do me to buy into we went to the moon? You see what I mean? Mm. It, what is it? What is what good does it do me? Nothing. It serves no one. If you can spend that same kind of energy, say, building houses for people that are homeless, then then that's why I have such. Like I'm so anti that, but, it, but they like people spin it because of our, our, our way of treating knowledge or con- treating the amount of information that we have. It's like, I get put into this, this box of, you know, conspiracy theory person or something, but I'm finding it so interesting because I don't know how the people in the other box, how you got so confident. You're not really an advocate of science just because you think that one that bricks and concrete enough to fill up a wheelbarrow fell from one building onto another building and knocked that entire building down. Do you really, yeah. is that, is that real science? You know what I mean? And it's not science. You just, you're just using, what do you call that? You just like straw manning or something. And um, that, that's why, you know, I find myself in the, in the middle of, of, of both things. And, and I'll, I'll give one more example. Like there's this situation where I see clearly that my, the way I treat knowledge and information is different than a lot of people I find myself talking to. We had it just the other day. My friend's having a problem, a coworker's having a problem on his system. And I'm like, yo, first of all, why don't you have the zeal to solve it? I go crazy when something ain't working on my computer, whether it's yeah. work, whatever, but it just kept on saying it ain't working. So I'm like, okay. And I finally get it that it's like, all right, they want me to fix it, obviously. That mm-hmm. sticks with me forever the same way the thing you just described may perhaps sticks with you and people are being ignorant about something. So I said, all right, look, at least meet me halfway. Open up the trouble ticket with the company, with Microsoft, and I'll coordinate and, and show you here's how you get to the bottom of stuff when you can't figure it out yourself. And we did it and it went marvelous. And they were all uh, like talking to me afterwards, like, man, that's interesting. You, I like the way you said this, Mark, or you handled it this way. And I was surprised you said that. I was like, yeah, because I know how to get to answer something, even if it's not the way I would go about it myself or it's counterintuitive to me. My point was why it, it all it leaves me thinking is why didn't, why didn't you think of that? Like, why did, why did you do that? And why aren't we teaching people how to think like that? I'll give you one more example that just came to mind. Uh, probably listeners don't know what the heck I'm talking about, but we have this other project where we're trying to do something in a space that was not typically competent in as a company. And Again, I'm, I'm these fucking product people, these like guys with the 500,000 bu- budget dollar budget per project, like spinning their wheels and having 10 and 12 meetings, trying to do something that you can just walk into a retail store and see an example of. I'm like, why, how do people do that? How do they find themselves in a, in a cave of information? The knowledge is right there in front of them. What I mean, mm. if I'm trying to do something, I will go to the place that's doing it and try to glean as much information as possible. We're doing this thing where I don't want to say too much, but we're like trying to offer some sort of in-home medical services. And you know, the medical field gets really, really strict with HIPAA regulations and all that. But what I'm mm. most astounded by is like, why, how come, I come you don't, want to think you only want the information if it's like given to you and and with someone else with confidence. And that makes me think, what else will you eat up as long as I give it to you with confidence? What else will you just believe? You can explore these things for yourself. And I'm saying that to say Uh that religious people are like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, yeah, it just makes you, I'm I'm saying that to say with, with, with regard to the original kind of crux of the question about knowledge, 
I still find, you know, a zeal for learning and understanding and experiencing uh, information, you know, as much as I can at the same time when it comes to application, I understand that, you know, disseminating and spreading out and not knowing everything, it's just more scalable and, and healthy, you know, in, in those mm. kind of, con- in those kind of contexts. Okay. Chris, with what we're saying so far, where do you sort of stand with this? Have you gained anything new from this discussion? Well, I, I think as far as like a working definition of knowledge for the sake of the conversation we're having is, is a different entity than just knowing things, just, just having, um, like if we were to play quick recall, like going back to academic team, middle school and high school days, um, you know, you buzz in and you know the answer or you study for an exam and you memorize memorization isn't necessarily knowledge in the same sense that we're utilizing the term knowledge Knowledge in the way that we're using it has teeth, it has feet, it it has efficacy. Yeah. Um, so I would draw a distinction between um, knowledge in terms of something that serves a purpose, that walks, that has legs, that, yeah. that is there to get something accomplished or serve a utilitarian purpose in your psyche versus memorization because memorization accruing facts just to be accruing facts or accruing what you believe to be facts accruing memories accruing it, it just just taking them in even though they're abstractions that are now in your mind you're hoarding to a degree and you're cluttering up your fucking psyche to me it seems like you're mm. you're built it's like people yeah. that um it's a gilded cage of sorts. You can know all of this dope shit, like, um, uh, like with linguistics, for example. I, 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 in no way, want to denigrate linguistics. And people talk about variations in language and things like that. But me, for me to take my time, especially with the English language, to study linguistics at this point serves zero fucking purpose unless I, I were to just have some wild hair to do it. However, if I had that wild hair to do it, it would, it would stand a reason that I had again, some desire to put it to use. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking about, uh, these cats that are hoarding facts or, or hoarding, um, what they consider to be knowledge, but they're really, building a gilded castle for themselves and it's a it's a social barrier between themselves and other people because i will tell you that even having the aptitude the burden of knowing the burden of having an aptitude to perceive on a deep level and identify with people inherently alienates you from an enormous swath of the population on some level it does from an early age, even as a little kid, if you if if things come easy to you and in, intellectually speaking, you know, picking up information and being a discerning consumer of information instead of a passive learner. It alienates you from the rest of the population. People treat oh, you yeah. differently. People oh, yeah. will be like, Chris is the smart kid, like. Mm-hmm. And I was the kid. I was also a little bit hood, too. So I would be like, of course, you can cheat off me. Like, I'm, I was that kid. But everybody knew that I, for whatever fucking reason, knew what um, a fucking uh, a pangolin was back when we was little kids. Like, people would be like, what the fuck is a pangolin? I'm like, you know, they're like a an anteater that, and an artichoke had a baby in the uh, they roll up into a ball like that kind of information. When you're a little kid, it's fascinating to other individuals, um, but it does alienate you and it makes you feel alone. And and what's the utility in me knowing that shit about, you know, the pangolin? And I have an entire menagerie of things I, I'm and I think all all three of us here have some sort of collection 
of what could be deemed useless facts, things that we cling on to with pride just because it's fat. It was fascinating to us at some point. It resonated phonetically, mm-hmm. visually, however, but we have it like Kalu, Kalu knows about shit that I have no fucking clue about. And Mark, you as well. And then I, I go down my little rabbit holes. I know a lot about animals and all kind of ignorant shit that like people are just like, I really, Chris, I really don't care that, you know, the genus and species name of this particular crayfish that only is endemic to this area of uh, South Central Kentucky. They don't <laughs> care. They don't care. And and that's the thing is, um you know, you put it in action and even something like that, that, that may bear utility with it. There's the double-edged sword element reappearing again, because you can accrue it in terms of it being some kind of porcelain fucking, uh, cat figurine. Like that you find in old ladies houses when they pass away and they got 10,000 fucking like porcelain cats, bruh, you can do that same thing with facts and I'm not saying like, oh, just give up on this and give up on that. But there is enormous utility in admitting like, I really don't have an affinity for this. And mm. I ha- I have friends who do. You know, and, that's go ahead. And, and 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 I think that there's a very human fucking thing. I think that the the yes. infancy of civilization resides there in 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 creating these peer groups and mechanical solidarity, which I harp on all the time, identifying strengths amongst your peers, Mm. leaning on them and fostering reciprocity with regard to that and sharing that information. Yes. Yes. We stand on the shoulders of giants, but, but honestly, and we've talked about it in other podcasts, the human mind really, really evolutionary from an evolutionary standpoint, I mean, has no way of catching up to where the fuck we're at as far as how we've accrued knowledge. We just can't. There's no fucking way. So we shouldn't shouldn't burden ourselves with feeling like that we have to have the responsibility of knowing fucking everything. But, Kalu, as you said earlier, there are people that just throw their fucking hands up in the air yeah, yeah. and don't, and don't want to do the work mm-hmm. and honest and honestly, part of it is laziness and part of it is fucking ego and insecurity. And, and I'm guilty of it with regard to other endeavors. There are things that I would rather not attempt and just assume that I'm better than average at than mm-hmm. then try and fucking fail because the risk to reward just isn't there for me. Well, and think of, think about the risk to reward for the anti-intellectualism movement. It's not yeah. right in front of them. It's, it's almost it's, a safety mechanism. It, it is. It's, 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 it's cognitive dissonance. It protects their neck. And the fact is you don't see they, you can't instill in these people that all of the things that they're seeing in, in terms of linear thinking Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yes, this happened and then this happened. Things don't happen on a week-to-week continuum. They happen, as far as a human lifetime is concerned, they happen on a decade-to-decade continuum, if sure. that, you know? You know and and, yeah, that's, and th- that's just a very human construct, too, in and of itself. You know, the one thing that I wanted to uh, talk about there is in terms of, like, the, the person who I felt kind of got it when it came to or the person that I think made it cool to say like, Hey, I don't really know all the answers, but I'm at least going to dig a little bit. Uh, it, I, it was Socrates. And, um, if you ever, you know, read anything about, about him or just, you know, learned anything about him in, in the, uh, history classes or the philosophy classes, he, it, at least to me, he didn't, he didn't come off as the person that was like the know-it-all. He just came off as a person that was always asking why, you know, asking to think outside the box or, or, you know, to challenge up all sorts of different things. And I want to read something really quick. And this one is called this thing. This little section is called the problem with Socrates. It says, if you sometimes wonder how a handful of ignorant buffoons managed to rise to power in recent years, the best, is that someone's mic? Your phone, Chris? No. 
All right. It says the best answer might be found among the great absentees, those highly skilled yet humble individuals who interestingly remained on the sidelines on the opposite end of the competence spectrum, light years away from our lemon faced thief. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you would find someone who knows so much that he's no longer sure of knowing anything at all. Enter the archetype or archetype or archetype, whatever of the philosopher incarnated <clears throat> in ancient Greece by Socrates. When the Oracle of Delphi revealed that he was the wisest man in all of Athens, this skeptic, uh, skeptical thinker set out to prove him wrong. Um, but after questioning the most eminent citizens of Athenian society, Socrates ruefully acquiesced. While these great artists and statesmen, though they knew all kinds of things, uh, though they knew all kinds of things, they were incapable of explaining. He at least knew that what he at least knew that he knew nothing, which made him all the more admirable to future generations by a philosophy buffs. And I thought that that was cool because we were saying that if you can't put that knowledge to action or if you can't personify the knowledge that you have, really, what good is it? Like the knowledge does have to have teeth. It does have to serve some kind of a purpose. Now, it's yeah. fine to know like like little tidbits of stuff. Like I feel like I know a little about a lot of things, but the, I don't even consider that real knowledge because I don't act on it. Like it like I can carry on through life just having that knowledge and it doesn't really serve me a purpose. But I do think that if I can put legs, if I can put a beating chest, if I can't or a beating heart, if I can put eyes, teeth, all that kind of stuff to the knowledge that I have, then that is actually useful. Well, and and you mentioned Socrates. We we can't mention Socrates without the Socratic method. And the Socratic mm -hmm. method was essentially a, a way of going about having, in, in my understanding, civil discourse with other individuals so that you can have a, a, a group sharing of perspective, civil dialogue, um, and, and hashing things out. But there has to be humility that's associated with it. And we spoke on ego a lot earlier and ego standing in the way of a lot of this shit. So we have we, what we have, if, if we're going to be honest, especially here in the United States and uh, several other places around the globe too, in differing capacities, but this, this goddamn belligerence, this entitlement and belligerence that's like, you know, by, by fucking birthright as an American, I don't have to do a goddamn thing except for whatever the fuck I want because I've got rights. Mm -hmm. And and let me motherfucking tell you, I don't like being told what to do. I'm belligerent as motherfucking hell. I don't fuck with the government. Like I'm not, you know, I, I, I work in civil service, but I've never been, you know, and I come from a long line of people that don't trust the status quo and shit like that. But there comes a fucking point where you have to, you have to take, if you're going to be an adult, you're a grown ass fucking adult and you take pride in your Chevy truck that you worked fucking 12 hours, seven days a week to fucking pay for. You take pride in that, but you, you, Yo, candy ass, your frail fucking candy ass doesn't have the, the huevos to put your belief system on, on trial and question things because you're too fucking afraid. It really comes down to fucking fragility and fear in a lot of cases. And, and unfortunately the onus resides with men for the most part. It really does. It's it's our fault for the most part in driving this anti-intellectualism. Women who are imbibing in it are largely falling in lockstep. Um and 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 I hate to well, I don't hate to say it. Fuck you if you offended by this, but it's like it it's part of that culture as well. Like it, it's congruent with that culture. It's not as though anti-intellectualism also uh, the same demographic espouses egalitarian feminist belief systems either. Mm. And they just fucking don't. So, so what do we do? What do we do with those of us that have the burden and we, and we come all the way back full circle about having too much knowledge, 
What do you do with the burden of knowledge, especially in the age of anti-intellectualism? I think that you there has to be a um, pruning process or a process of elimination. Like if we are in an age of anti-intellectualism, we have to be able to find out what bits of information. And this is me imbibing in that mindset of with great power comes great responsibility. I think the responsible thing is to find out what knowledge does have that teeth, what knowledge can really connect to those people who who need to have it, who need to understand it, who might be in a phase right now where they're resisting it. Like, how can we get how can we formulate that knowledge to where it makes sense to them and they can have some kind of a shift? I think that we and I also think that the knowledge is um, it shifts in priority. There are certain things that we we like it is to like it is imperative that we know about certain things. And um, and for those people that that refuse to learn, we have to take it upon ourselves to help them see that. And then because of that, that means that there has to be that pruning process that I was talking about just a few seconds ago of saying like, OK, this other knowledge that I have has to be put to the back burner and I have to give this other stuff life because our society depends on it uh, to move forward. Well, and 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 I'm I'm not taking this as an opportunity. It's borderline fucking obligatory, in my opinion, at this mm. point. But. I think where we're at is an indictment of the failures of late stage fucking capitalism and that the free market is has hung out a whole lot of people to dry. It started with the generation that is buried in um, student loan debt. It's it very much. I mean, I'm sure it started before that, but it became very apparent with that. Mm. And you're you're hamstringing. An entire generation of people, again, and even, even though they have degrees and they, they can't find jobs and they have all this knowledge that they can put into practice, which going unfulfilled, and we've talked about it in previous podcasts, those things like that that go unfulfilled cause distress in a human being. So let's, let's look at, at the next generation further. Let's include not just the people that you know, have student loan debt, but also people that, you know, maybe didn't even graduate from high school. And can, they can I call time out really quick? Yeah. Like the one thing that I think that we all need to be mindful of when it comes to the, the, the argument of student loan debt, we have to understand that the majority of people that have student loan debt are the highest earners. They are the ones that like the people that own the large majority of that debt are lawyers, they're doctors, they're people that had to get two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars of college debt, which is the equivalent of like eight people, you know, eight people with like art degrees or something like that so that they can go through and have these other professions. And those people are the ones that are uh, putting a lot of money into into the economy, unfortunately, but, or unfortunately, but, however you want to see it. But again, a decade things work in terms of a decade. Those same sure. individuals that skews the statistics Mm-hmm. Very grotesquely, because they do take out disproportionately large amounts, but then they are able to pay them back. Their yes. income provides them the efficacy that within, in terms of decades, those people start accruing wealth at a much higher fucking rate. Whereas 30 grand of student loan debt can fucking bury the average human being. Oh, so. Yeah. So that it is a bit misleading. Yes, those statistics get touted, and I've seen it. I've seen people say, "Yes, these high-earning professionals are the ones that are carrying the, the, a lot of this debt." They are, but the people that are genuinely suffering as a result of the debt are the mm-hmm. people that took out twenty to fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt, and then there just wasn't a position that paid more than twelve dollars an hour whenever they got out of college, mm-hmm. and and. And again, with that, yes, I, I, I 100% believe that, you know, I, and, and, and again, I, I'm not going to denigrate any particular field, but you choose your field if you go to school. However, it, it, it's a whole other debate that 
a fucking somebody that's not old enough to buy cigarettes or alcohol right. legally can take yeah, on that much right. debt. $40,000 of debt. Yeah, but can't take out a fucking small business loan or a person, yeah. you know, can't do any of that kind of shit. That's highly suspect. But if you if we look at the population that, you know, we'll look at Generation X. Generation X is really kind of where it started with the student loan debt towards the tail end of Generation X. Um, and, and, you know, because I'm a elder millennial, a zennial or whatever, right there on the fucking cusp. But um, if, if we take that category, you know, people that their student loan debt or how much they had to pay for school versus their potential earnings in whatever field of study that they undertook, we take them and include them with everybody below them um, as far as educational attainment. Um, Think about, okay, they have families, they're able to make it to varying degrees, this entire, and it's a big swath. This is a big, huge portion of the United States of America as far as families are concerned. Um, so there's a lot of variance. Um, you you got to account for that. But anti-intellectualism fucking starts at the house where your your parents are unhappy because they have to work themselves to fucking death and a job that shows no forward progress. Bills keep adding up. There aren't there there isn't extra room for for self-actualization fulfillment there's there's misery um you have instances of abuse you have instances of dv in households and these aren't representative of the totality of it but shit fucking happens even within families that don't exhibit a pattern of maladaptive behavior shit fucking happens right so these kids go off to fucking school and they haven't you know, they didn't sleep because mom and dad argued all fucking night the night before. Mm. And and arguments, honest to God, if you live in a palatial fucking mansion, you can't tell me that Billy is sitting upstairs hearing his parents argue. If his parents is upset, them motherfuckers is on whole other side. They might not be on up other sides of the country. Not that it doesn't suck, but it's very different. So he, sh- you show up to school that anti-intellectualism starts with hamstringing the person who is supposed to be the discerning consumer of information, the person that we're supposed to be fostering this skill. The most important skill for gaining knowledge isn't, it it isn't in some book. It's Mm -hmm. training like a martial art for your mind to be able to tangle with things and parse through them and, and and bypass some kind of ego or or preconceived notion that you've got there. So if you're hungry, you haven't slept, you you're worried about this, your dad fucking hits you, all this fucking shit. That that a lot of us you know, I I'm fortunate, you know, I I grew up Jehovah witness, single mom. It's not like I didn't get hit upside my motherfucking head a few times or whatever, but I'm fortunate that shit came easy to me because I'm going to tell you, I didn't show up to school ready to fucking learn. I showed up Mm. to school ready to fucking party. Yeah. Okay. Because my shit, my growing up Jehovah's witness was oppressive of fucking enough. And I know that that's again, not representative of the majority of things, but that gives me a little bit of insight. I can say that as unhappy as I was in my home life, being growing up the way that I fucking grew up, mm-hmm. when I showed up to school, I wasn't showing up to bend my will, listen to no motherfucking body. I was there to socialize and cut up with other kids and show my ass. I was just fortunate enough to have older siblings that were reasonably intelligent human beings. My mom is like a fucking FBI agent, basically. Um, we had books <laughs> in the house. What do you mean by that? You mean by she that? knows everything, huh? Bruh, she is the most analytical, observant, 
researching human being that's ever fucking existed. If there's one, if I was to call my mom and be like, mom, I've got this, uh, I've got this white spot on my big toenail. I'm worried about it. I don't know what it is. My mother would comprise, compose like a thesis basically of all the possible things like, well, Chris, it could be a zinc deficiency. It could be a, and she's just a robot about that shit. Like she's dope. But again, I'm the outlier, but I'm still the kid that showed up to school and was not in no way was I there to be a discerning consumer of information. And it was very much linked 100% to my home life, to the fact that I grew up in a repressive, oppressive fucking environment. So when you have these very sensitive individuals and, and we have a culture of survival of the fucking fittest in the United States. It's no fucking wonder anti-intellectualism is running rampant and it's getting even fucking worse. And it's just going to continue. The process continues, man. Think about what's going to happen with these kids that have been uh, learning from home. Mm. Think about the gap that is going to be created between the kids that have and the kids that don't have. Yeah. You know, one of my friends is a first grade teacher and she says normally by this time she has kids that are um, that are able to read. And uh, she's like, the majority of my class can't read right now. And that's that's first. Grade. And this is December. Yeah. And and that's what I'm saying. Like I and, and it's not kudos to me, but I knew how to read before I went to school. I knew same thing, add, same too. Yeah, yeah. Like like my my people's instilled that in me like I. I understood that kind of shit before I went to fucking school, but there are kids that rely on that. Mm -hmm. And, and without that, Jesus fucking Christ, they are, there's going to be an entire fucking generation of kids that are held back a little bit, at least a little bit. And, and again, it's disproportionate. It's the haves and the have nots. The haves is going to be fucking fine. They fine because they didn't even have to be exceptional to motherfucking begin with because daddy owns a fucking uh, real estate development company and he's, you know, you're going to get you a job. Everything going to be all right eventually. But, but homeboy who, you know, his mom fucking works at the library and uh, dad isn't in the picture. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and again, a, a kid, a kid like that, you know, if your mom works at the library, obviously, I'm sure she's a reasonably erudite individual, assuming she's a librarian and not, you know, something else at the library. But dude, it, it starts with the children. That's mm-hmm. that's fundamentally where where all of this comes from. It comes from the natural form of human society, which is mechanical solidarity, small communities with everybody knowing, having a decent grasp about everything, but each person playing to their special skill and filling in the gaps where they need to. Mm -hmm. And, and what we're doing with the youth, what we're doing with young people and not training them to be discerning consumers of information and not training them how to navigate a social system. We're Mm -hmm. giving, we're, we're giving them the toothless fucking facts that all these actually ass motherfuckers with neck beards on the internet. Yes. Accumulate. Text has been lost. I think yeah. you, you touched on that earlier when you're talking about it. That that's definitely the key there. The knowledge outside of a, a practical context uh, can be, you know, useless and even even regressive. So that's pro- that's probably the crux of it there. You know, and there's no context uh, for young people right now for the knowledge they're receiving. It, it, it's not relevant to say it another way. Mm-hmm. There's it's not relevant at all. So oh, it, it I, isn't. You know, like so, trig, like yeah, like trig. Yeah. I don't. And, and and both of you all are are in in fields that are you know centered around a lot more uh tech technological shit obviously to my oh, yeah. my, shit, my shit is all like intuition and like forensics and and just just kind of playing it by motherfucking ear but mm-hmm. uh yeah it's it, <laughs> 
I, I'm kind of at a loss because we've in, in opening up in Kalu saying, you know, can can too much knowledge be a burden or can is too much knowledge a hindrance or whatever? We have roundabout come to the conclusion that like uh, is it that we're we're fucked. <laughs> we, we, we have we have somehow we have somehow took this issue all the way back to how normal humans as organisms are supposed to function, and then the idealized how you're supposed to foster a young mind, and it's not happening, and that being a great hindrance for again. Cause, cause I asked you guys, I was like, what, you know, how, how do we, how do we put this shit in action? Like what, what is the utility in, in knowing? Um, and, and the thing is there ain't no utility. There is no incentive for people that are, Oh, Oh, and one more thing and I'll shut the fuck up. I swear. But it's part of the constant satiation. It's it's part of that the mouse that that hits the button, and every time it hits the button, it gets a treat. Yeah. yeah, it's part of that. It it's and again, it's the the linear thinking thing instead of understanding like projections and understanding that the world goes on without you, like a human lifetime is a fucking tiny amount and we can do a lot of damage in a human lifetime that can't be fucking undone. But you know, you're not going to see the effects of some of that shit until, I mean, fundamentally it's goddamn too late. And I hate to be super bleak about all this shit. Hate to be fucking bleak. And I could say it's either my own hubris and narcissism at play here, or it's my burden of fucking knowing that we're fucked. Mm. That we're absolutely fucked. I don't see any way. I don't see it. There's, there's no sign of things getting better. There's a greater divide between the haves and the have nots all the fucking time. And the haves and the have nots, that that is correlated with knowledge gentlemen and and our working de- our working definition of knowledge not memorization of facts not not being dope at world of warcraft and knowing like who all um who all the the backstage grips were on the, all the avengers movies like not that kind of shit knowledge the ability mm-hmm. to to discern uh ridiculousness hokum from viable information and to put that shit into practice yeah damn there's a lot there's a lot of directions that obviously this can go but i feel like the one thing that we could all agree on is that there is this level of responsibility with the knowledge that we have responsibility on, on, you know, help making sure that it, that it does have teeth and, but also making sure that the knowledge that we have is useful and making sure that there's some knowledge that, that may not have a, may not serve a purpose for right now. Um, and we got to put it on ourselves to, to try and try and do something to, to make it better. We all have this knowledge that our school systems and, and the students there are suffering, you know, and it doesn't take much to see what's going on. And I think that you don't have to be the smartest person in the world for us to be able to figure out some kind of solution for something like that. And that, in my opinion, is a good spot where the the phrase or the the idea of knowledge divided really does kind of help out that that means that we could all kind of come come up with this together come up with some kind of solution i think we are not believing in the knowledge divided uh mindset when we're putting all the onus on the teachers you know that is something that it's impossible for them to do you know they're they're having to you know deal with you know 20 different kids 
And those 20 different kids have, you know, multi, you know, multiple variables of what the hell is going on in their house that can hinder them from gaining some kind of uh, education or something like that. But that same thing applies to many other places in life. And uh, so we just have to be we just got to be better. And we aren't going to have the answer to it right now. But I just wanted to be able to take time to to talk about knowledge in general. And well, I know and, that. Go ahead. And, 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 you know, one thing that we didn't even mention, like at What's all, that? is, you know, we've been so focused on knowledge and 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 the difference between like this innocuous, hollow memorization of facts, whatever, versus working knowledge um, and the hoarding thereof or the putting into action thereof. But we haven't made much acknowledgement that you can also hoard ignorance. Mm. You could, you could very much sit and hoard ignorance. And that, that I think is at the core of this as well is because if, if somebody from a therapeutic standpoint, if somebody uh, needs help, they have to be a willing participant in their own fucking recovery. And that applies to ignorance as well. And how do you go about getting someone to be a willing participant in a recovery from their own ignorance? Mm. And I'm sorry, I just dropped that shit off at the very end of this. Yeah. But, but again, I I couldn't not say it because I'm like, Dog, pe- people sit on they, their ignorance and rest on that shit and yeah. act like it's the gospel. And or they act really, like victims. Oh yeah, they act like fucking victims. And and that's the thing is, a person has to be willing to get help. Like they have to want help in order to get help, and not just you know again, not just utilizing the therapeutic framework, applying this to anti-intellectualism and being better and being a better, a more discerning consumer of information. It's gonna take some growing pains. You're you're gonna have to acknowledge that your people is kind of a piece of shit. Mm. I'm sorry, and and let me let me also say, look for for all. For the Melungeon delegation out here, if your people is racist, like conventionally, like racist, like everybody know old racist ass motherfucking people, I'm not gonna expect you to cancel your people. Yeah. I just expect you to understand what your people is and not let that shit echo through coming generations. Mm-hmm. I do expect that. Mm-hmm. But but this this purity test motherfuckers is going around being like it. It's totally okay to cut off that. Look, it is okay to cut off family members, but not, not your, your 80 year old racist granddaddy that he only racist about, about five things. Mm-hmm. He's like, I like colored people, but you know, and then he goes on a diatribe. We are. And I can't speak for y'all, but I, I'd like to think I, that we're kind of on the same page. We are not here expecting you in any way, shape, form, or fashion to disown or denigrate or regulate the language or anything of your racist ass old school fucking backwoods relatives. Have whatever relationship you need to with them, but do better and don't believe what they fucking say just because you love them. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 I like this. I like this, guys. We've we didn't even have to touch on the other <laughs> the other topic there. We can save that for another episode. But um, I do want to thank you guys for for coming on. I, I loved that we can talk about something like this. And, you know, we had sort of come to the agreement that, you know, we, we do want to shift the, our con our content back to being more philosophical in nature and really putting more thoughts and stuff like that through the grinder. Now that I kind of feel like. You know, there's enough things out there talking politics and society, and, and we're, we're certainly still going to touch on that. But there's there's definitely a lot of meat on the bone, especially going into t- uh, 21. 
with philosophy and just ideas that are that are out there and different concepts that we can take into our daily lives. So if you guys have any questions about knowledge, about learning, uh, if you have any things that you want to be able to add, please, please, please reach out to us. I want to be able to continue this conversation. So um, with that, do we have any shameless shout outs before we drop off? Um, always shameless shout out. Grade eight performance. Tyler Young. Um, if you're interested in um, any kind of physical preparedness um, across the board, whatever it may be, um, we we probably can't teach you how to like ski jump or no shit like that. But between the motherfuckers that we got on the squad, we've got a lot of bases covered when it comes to physicality, wilderness preparedness, um, uh, marksmanship, you know, across the board reach out again that's grade eight performance and then we got to give a shameless shout out to raw power moving um you know we're the cheapest gig in the south central kentucky area um we work in tennessee as well if you need something fucking uh monstrous moved chances are we can get it moved for you so um you know, hit the hit the inbox on Facebook. It's at Raw Power Movers um, or Raw Power Moving Service on Facebook. And, uh, you know, shoot us a message if you have uh, any questions. The worst we can do is give you a quote and you say no. Yep, yep, yep. Mark, do you have any shameless shouts? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, shout out to the, the Black Codes Slack channel. Shout out to... Uh... Uh, Gary Hook and the Hook family and everyone that uh, fucking so, love those people. I but, love yeah, Gary's family. <laughs> oh man, we had a great great time uh, uh, yesterday at the annual Hook Christmas party that was had to be done virtually, but I went in person, of course. So uh, uh, shout out to all of those good people. Um, maybe you guys get to meet meet them soon. And um, yeah, shout out to uh, the uh, sysadmins Discord. Um, for answering all of my repeatedly stupid questions, same ones I ask every year because I never write anything down anymore because <laughs> knowledge knowledge has messed up my mind and I don't respect it anymore because I think I can just Google <laughs> it all the time. So that's another problem with it. You don't respect it. You just be yeah. spitting knowledge's mouth and slapping it. Yeah, I just... I just <laughs> I just know you can go Google it and it's bad for me. But uh, yeah, shout out. Shout out to those folks. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, I just have one shout out I want to give, and it is actually to my therapist. I've been working on uh, creating a new value system. And in time, uh, I do want to be able to create an episode with you guys on, on what that looks like and the importance of uh, having a value system in place and understanding that your values will change throughout your life. And, you know, as you get older, you start to mature and hopefully grow. Uh, that's something that I've been working on. And I'm, I've been really excited about the growth. Uh, but uh, yeah, shout out to my therapist for helping me get a, get on track with a lot of that shit. So uh, I want to thank you guys for your time and attention. Like I said, if you guys have any things that you want to add to this discussion please don't hesitate to reach out uh, hit us up on instagram and facebook at the salumist or just type in the salumist podcast you'll be able to find us on there please share this episode share any of our content let's get some more subscribers let's really make 21 uh the year that we do some growth and um with our with our numbers with all the other kind of stuff and oh i'll, I'll tell you the movie that i was talking about earlier guys at the very beginning was called tenet it's 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 I have to watch it like two more times. It really has my mind in different directions. So um, if you guys could, uh, please watch that shit. Steal it on the internet if you can, or, or go buy it if you want to be like, a, you know, legal and all that kind of stuff. So thank you all. Um, do some good shit this week. This is Christmas weekend or Christmas week. You know, don't feel like you have to go buy a bunch of shit because you really don't have to. Uh, just try and have some fun. Try and relax if you can. Meet up with family. Meet up with friends. And on that... We are out. Peace.